This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Treasury Department's Bureau of the Fiscal Service is showing other federal financial agencies how technology can help them replace paperwork. The Bureau has published what it calls a digital end-to-end efficiency strategy that walks agencies through how to identify workflows ripe for automation and how to squeeze the cost out of them. For more, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman spoke with the Innovation Program Manager, Craig Fisher, and also, the voice you'll hear first, Management and Program Analyst with the Bureau's Office of Financial Innovation and Transformation, Cindy Good. Fiscal service is transforming the future of federal financial management, and innovation is that key to transformation. And in order to get there, we essentially wanted to look at how we can streamline operations and customer interactions. We all know that digital is here and it's not going away. People expect to engage with the government the same way they engage with one another. And while we're doing our best to keep pace, we often have relied largely on business processes that are manual and costly. Uh, Additionally, you know, part of our work on the financial innovation and transformation team is to engage in studies that show what the future direction of financial management looks like. And in 2017, we conducted a study that provided 13 recommendations and automation of core processes was mentioned as the single largest driver to achieving government-wide savings. And really, that's what digital end-to-end efficiency is about. We developed the playbook so we can help the financial management community automate their business processes and ultimately achieve those government-wide cost savings. Since automation is such a big piece of this playbook here, I would be curious to learn more about where the low-hanging fruit are in terms of automating at the Bureau of the Fiscal Service. Let's hear a little bit more about that. Automation is a big part, but it's also making sure that we're strategic about it. One of the things we've noticed when exploring automation is that prior attempts have been focused on improving a transaction or a task instead of looking at that full end-to-end. So our digital end-to-end efficiency effort is different from many digital transformation efforts because it emphasizes both the customer and delivery experiences to identify the highest priority opportunities for improvement. The playbook will contain a set of easy-to-follow tools and instructions for agencies to follow, like how do you select the business process to maximize cost savings, how to quickly identify areas that present the greatest opportunities for automation and digitization, and how to choose the right solutions for implementation, to name a few. What it also does, it will help you select how to solve a problem by putting them into categories. And the idea here mainly is we want to encourage you first to consider those no or low-tech solutions before automatically jumping into an emerging technology that can bring in those higher costs and risks. All right, very good. And just to take a step back there, let's maybe do a little level set and see what are some of the driving factors behind this demand to automate? What's driving the demand for the fiscal service to adopt and implement these automation solutions? People want a digital experience and we need to meet those customer expectations. We need to meet those customers where they are. And a lot of that is through automation. We're still largely doing a lot of these processes in a manual effort. People actually going through and screen scraping from one system to another system. So those are some of the areas where we're really trying to figure out, is there a better way, a more automated way, which we can actually achieve our work, but also meet those expectations of the customer. And I think one of the things, too, that is really novel about the digital end-to-end efficiency approach is that we really are combining traditional process improvement techniques really with this customer-centric focus. 
So not only are we really trying to drive out and find efficiency and effectiveness improvements when it comes to an end-to-end process, we're really taking that customer and putting them at the center of this to really help them achieve what they're trying to achieve, whether that's easier access to our systems, finding data in a much more easier way. But it's really blending these two things that I think makes the digital end-to-end efficiency initiative so important. Another key part of this playbook is a real look at identifying and prioritizing low-cost and high-value projects, making sure that you guys are able to find projects that are worth the effort and can maximize that return on investment. Could you give me a couple of examples of projects that meet that criteria? Given what we do in the Bureau, many of our projects in our modernizations are fairly sizable. And so DEEEE is our effort to find those lower costs and high value projects or solutions. The playbook will provide you with a solution prioritization matrix to help evaluate and prioritize the projects based on costs and value metrics. And it will plot them into four quadrants, one of which is what you mentioned, right? Low cost, high value. Uh, Last year, when we analyzed the TDY travel process, there was one particular pain point that was really bothering our customer. It had to do with funds availability checks between the travel and the financial systems. When we initially got together to identify solutions, a total of seven potential solutions were discussed, five of which were applying a new technology. And after we applied the matrix, we decided to choose the lowest cost and immediate value solution, which really was a funds distribution policy solution. This playbook obviously looks at a whole suite of emerging technology tools. Let's maybe talk a little bit more about those. What are some of the technologies that the Bureau is looking at in terms of driving greater efficiency? And what are some of the examples of that technology being implemented at the Bureau? We're definitely an innovative agency, and I can name a few. Artificial intelligence, we're looking at AI, natural language processing, including neural networks, RPA and machine learning. For example, applying machine learning to analyze fraud detection patterns for tax collections. We are assessing whether AI capabilities can automate the process of creating treasury warrants. We're looking to enhance customer experiences by utilizing chatbots to interact with our customers. And on the RPA front, you know, Fiscal Service has an RPA program where we have deployed over 70 bots into production. Another component is customer experience, as I mentioned. We're working to improve the experience of the agency or public customers when they have financial interactions via smart workflow enhancements and a CX platform. We've also been exploring blockchain, the distributed ledger technology, to see how it can reduce reporting burden for recipients of federal grant funding. And then lastly, we're also looking to improve the way data is delivered to fiscal service and the financial management community. So we're working to modernize our data architecture to the cloud and build an enterprise data solution to improve performance, reduce costs, and truly deliver what our customers need. How does the Bureau look at identifying work and scale up solutions that work in one area and take that and scale it across the enterprise? So looking at common capabilities is a strategic priority for fiscal service, particularly when it comes to scaling across the enterprise. There are many moving parts and many groups currently underway, in addition to what DEEE is doing to identify solutions for us to scale. Our chief chief data office and chief information office both have enterprise strategies or solutions in the works. Another example was scaling up the RPA capability. We started with a workforce automation group 
that was really focused in the shared service business. And as we became more capable in that area, we opened up the automation opportunities to other parts of the organization. We're also not looking to create duplicative capabilities across the Bureau. So for example, a lot of organizations have been exploring chatbots as a different way to respond to questions and improve the customer experience. But standing up a chat solution in each area is truly inefficient. So we're looking to build an enterprise approach with an enterprise technology solution for that. Cindy Good, a management and program analyst with the Bureau of the Fiscal Services Office of Financial Innovation and Transformation. Speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman, you also heard from Innovation Program Manager Craig Fisher. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most 
was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that, I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author, she turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. 
It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, Think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.